Asian Pop Nation on Sin 90.7. Welcome, this is Asian Pop Nation, and today's a very, 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 very special day because we somehow miraculously ended up going to the studio together and recording in the studio. Isn't that amazing, guys? Gas. Yeah. My name is Tracy. I am the EP of Asian Pop Nation, and today I am joined by Liz, Ethan, Lee. Leisha! Yeah! <laughs> so we have this full round table of Asians here <gasps> ready to discuss a very specific movie. Today's show is actually a long-form show because it's all going to be centred around this movie released in 2018. This little movie that you might have heard of called Crazy Rich Asians. It's pretty underground, you know, if you haven't heard of it, I completely understand. It's so niche. Like... It's really niche. We did not talk about it last week at all. No. <laughs> This totally wasn't inspired by the fact that Liz said she hated this movie, and I was like, oh my god, interesting thing we could actually talk about. I am so sorry. It's okay. <laughs> and as such, we actually started the show with two songs from the soundtrack um, of Crazy Rich Asians. Um, this is a soundtrack that we all generally agree is very, very good. Those two songs were Jasmine Chen with Kori Jun Zai Waiting for Your Return, and secondly, we played a song from 1976, according to Spotify, um, by Chen Li Lan, and it's called Ni Dong Bu Dong, aka Do You Understand? It features the great lyric, I am a great pine and you are a stick of spring onion, which is why it's my favorite song on the soundtrack. That's so romantic. <laughs> oh my gosh. That's, I'm using that. I'm using that. It's about a woman who's talking to someone who will never measure up to her, and she's like, I will never, ever, ever, ever marry you. And so she's just like talking about how great she is and how... <laughs> the this is foreshadowing, guys. It's great. Yeah, it is definitely foreshadowing. But before we get to actually talking about Crazy Rich Asians, we're going to play some more super, super old Chinese songs. The first one is also from the Crazy Rich soundtrack. This one is called Ren Sheng Jiu Shi Xi, or Life is a Play, and it's by Yao Lin. The soundtrack actually has a lot of these really, really old songs from like the Shanghai jazz scene, and it's super interesting, which is why they'll be popping up later on in the show. But in the meantime, I hope you enjoy this. So would somebody like to maybe just give us a rundown of the entire, like, synopsis of the film? Basically, the synopsis revolves around this couple, Nick Young and Rachel Chu, and Rachel has been invited by her partner to, like, hey, I want you to visit the family and all that stuff, but <gasps> shock surprise, not only is it overseas in Singapore of all places, but it turns out <gasps> he's really rich, crazy rich even. <gasps> What? That's crazy. And basically, Rachel, she is a Chinese woman who has been born and raised in America, kind of gets thrown in like fish out of water experience when she comes down to Singapore, has to face Nick's family and all the craziness that comes in between that. I guess that would kind of be the main way I'll sum it up. That's a great summary. Oh, thank you. <laughs> so, like, we do have some, like, thoughts about this. Uh, the reason we started talking about it is because I personally hate the film. Um, You love the film. Love is a strong word, okay, you but like <laughs> I think I am just like I I I dev there are some legit things I hate about it and I think it came more clear when I rewatched it this week. But I think overall I still think it's a really, really fun ride. But Liz, I know this is like the bane of your existence. <laughs> no way, but before I do that though, what is everyone else's thoughts on the film? Yeah, thoughts, like feelings? the general middle ground people of what I like to say. Ethan I mean, I think the movie is fine. <laughs> like, I don't personally have any like strong hate or love with that movie. I think it's a it's a fun movie, but that's such a true middle ground opinion. It is so middle ground. <laughs> You're like the perfect center between these two. <laughs> 
Um, I don't know. I watched it. (laughs) That's way more more middle ground than mine. That's true. I mean, seeing a movie in itself is a crazy. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's definitely a movie. Look, when I when I went to watch it in high school when it came out, like I did enjoy it. I felt things. Like it was, it was a good thing. Yeah, like which is more than can be said about a lot of movies, I reckon. But I think it is a pretty fun rom com, and I think it is a pretty fair representation of Asian culture, I would say, maybe. Like, I feel like there are a lot of movies when they kind of just slap on, like, generic songs and they're just like, Mm. look, culture. But, like, I feel like this really took the time and you can tell that the people that were involved in it were heavily, like, influenced but also, like, really passionate about that kind of story. So, like, I think it does come through. No, that's so, so fair. I mean, the reason I use the words film summary is because I actually read the book before I read the film. Yeah, that's So, like, true. for everyone listening, there is a book out there. It's a three-part series. <laughs> this is the first one. But I think the reason I didn't like it so much is because, as with every other book-to-movie adaptation, you just sometimes like the book a bit more or you're a bit more sentimental. And I think I had an additional bias because I am Singaporean. So to see my culture represented in a way that maybe I didn't quite agree with I was just very disappointed the entire time. Did you find the book more, like, in-depth? Like, did it explore themes better, or was it...? I think because it's a book, you have the ability to kind of imagine certain things, whereas you don't have that kind of flexibility with mo- with movies. Like, for example, I-, I guess one of my bigger gripes was representation of, like, um, the multiracial Singaporean culture. Because you have to understand the young family, which is our main family that we follow, is predominantly Chinese Singaporean. Yeah. And because of that, it really does showcase Singapore as this Chinese-centered culture. Mm-hmm. And I found that quite upsetting because I was like, we have so much more to offer, but all they're showcasing is the minorities are doing all the menial labor and the main people are the Chinese people. And I was like, this this ain't it, chief. Mm. And I feel like that that would have been like... That, those are thoughts that were kind of formed on, like, a second watch. But on the first watch, it was just more of, like, a, I think, overall book disappointment. Hmm. I think that's so fair as well, because I, like... I I'm, I love how we panned this out so that Liz and I would be, like, two opposite spectrums. But one point you literally bring up is one that I really agree on. And upon, like, second watching this week, it, like... The whole part about how you mentioned, again, Singapore literally is a very multicultural country comprising of several different ethnic groups, and only one is really highlighted as, like, this is the peak. We're the rich, rich ones. Yeah. Um, there's, like, a literal scene that, as you mentioned, it popped out in my head as when um Rachel and her best friend, who will get more in-depth on that best friend character later, um, <laughs> basically, they're going into... um some rich young family You're household. talking about the Sikh gods. Yes, and then basically it was like they were they were like about to get in and then there's like a whole scene which is played up as like a haha funny moment of them getting scared by guards that are Sikh. And then it was just like, yeah, like scenes like that was just to me very like a- out of nowhere kind of. Like I don't think it was super necessary, but for context in like... A lot of Singaporean households, especially the, the high, really, really high upper class that the young would have been, the young family would have been a part of, having security guards that are normally maybe Sikh or like from another country that isn't predominantly Chinese, that is very common. Yeah. But I feel like for a show where you're only showcasing Chinese people, having your minority characters play 
the comedy relief. Maybe not your smartest move. Yeah, exactly. And they've been like, when the movie and stuff came out and all that stuff, even like pre like it being released, they're promoting it's like, oh yes, this is the peak rep for Asians in rom com setting, all that stuff. And then basically having other Asian um, ethnic groups that aren't Chinese being depicted as like, yeah, again, in this sort of situation. It's not ideal, yeah. hey. Um, again, I love how I'm supposed to be the, yes, this movie is peak perfection or something. But no, that part like really, um, pissed me off when I saw it the first time around. Hey. I mean, my, I could, I can add on to this. Mm. Just more of like a, this is, this is not the same point anymore. I've moved points. But I think another reason I didn't like the film is because following up on that, every time I told somebody I was Singaporean, the words, oh, so you must be crazy rich. Oh, we used all it was. Oh my god, like crazy rich Asians, and I was like, the joke was funny the first five times I heard it. Five but is I, so lenient. <laughs> like it was really cute the first like week the film came out. You know, it's been a couple years. <laughs> we can let it go. <laughs> Come on, guys. Oh my gosh. Okay, let me. Uh, I'm a bit of a rom com enthusiast. Yes. So is. Uh, one of our dear members who's not here, but is Miss Xenia, who also is a big rom-com enthusiast. And I think a lot of stuff that she told us or wrote in advance kind of mirrors similarly to how I feel about this movie. In terms of, like, rom-com-wise, it's, like, part of what I love about this movie and what I don't like about this movie because, A, I like that you can kind of see that they're an established couple mm. um, from the get-go. There's no, like, if you're somebody who really hates to watch the slow burn and all that stuff, like, this movie just jumps straight into them being together. And the conflict isn't so much of just them. It's more, like, involving the whole family and how she gets treated by just, like, everyone. No, you're so right, though, like, because it's not just a film where they're falling in love, like your typical rom-com. It's a film that showcases more of the... I guess the conflict in relationship. Yeah. Which a lot of rom-coms don't actually encompass because where would you put that? Like, where would that go in the big scheme of a rom-com? Yeah. But if you start off with them being already together established, you're able to showcase, like, the familial conflicts, the cultural differences, what goes into actually, like, a... I guess they would count as an interracial couple. Yeah, they're, they're like, that, technically. Co- yeah, their conflict as like a couple, like, with cultural differences to me is like really interesting and something which I still kind of feel like I don't actually see that much in modern day rom coms of like, yeah. their cultural difference. Cause by technicality, yeah, they're both Asian like characters, but yeah. it's like literally the upbringing is what is like, separating the two again it's like nick young literally like his whole family came from singapore and then rachel has been born and raised in america an asian american through and through and that's like the peak of the conflict comes from that sort of cultural difference as opposed to like yeah. oh both existing in completely different ethnic groups and exactly all that exactly stuff. yeah so i think that's like very cool for them to explore something i did not see especially not in like 2018 times that i was like wow to see so I guess, like, tell me about all the cute rom-com stuff you loved about this film. Come on. Oh, my god! I need gosh. to hear this. I need to be swayed. Oh, oh, God. A cute rom-com stuff? Oh, God. Okay. Now, I don't want this to be, like, an I Heart Henry Golding moment, but to me, he's so, like... I think they really, like... Oh, just for him to be, like, the heartthrob, like, Asian male protag guy, um, he kind of ate, even though... 
Um, I do agree with like something Xenia said in the past of like how he has a lot of cheesy writing involved with his character. And I quote some stuff where he's just like, oh, I think I've fallen in love with you all over again. And it was like a scene where she was just wearing like cute. a different dress. But it's cute. <laughs> like it's rom-com. I take it. I was eating it up. Um, but he's just such like a, like, oh, like, the two of them just generally love each other. And there's like a whole scene right after Rachel literally during the bachelorette party of one of their friends gets like basically bullied and ridiculed by all the girls kind of there because they're like, oh, you're dating yeah. young. Oh my God. And basically right after that, she has like a whole talk with like Nick and it was just like, I don't know, something as simple as just the two of them talking things out and they're like, oh babe, I'm so sorry or whatever. We love healthy communication. Healthy communication. No oh miscommunication moment. Shock. Horror. Never would expect. Um, no, I think look, they're a really cute couple. I will say like a personal gripe I just have with it is that the sh- movie actually doesn't show a lot of them like being together and cute as a couple yeah we're gonna hold it right there folks yes. because it's time for some more music this next song coming right up is oh actually another song from the crazy rich Asians soundtrack Shock. oh my god oh my god it's, it's almost crazy. like that's what we're talking about <laughs> it's by hong kong singer sally yeah and this is a cover of madonna's material girl <gasps> and the cover is called 200 degrees it's from Enjoy. 1985 continuing on our discussion of Crazy Rich Asians, right now we are talking about um, how the movie interacts with rom-com tropes. I'll let you take it away, Misha. Oh, hi. Me, not the resident rom-com enthusiast, but the closest one as of today. I just want to let you like, talk a little bit about this movie from like a little rom-com thing, because I actually think for a rom-com, like in my eyes, this movie has more like green flags than red flags purely if I look at it as a rom-com mm-hmm. and one of the things I really like which I touched upon earlier is obviously I think the couple Nick Young and Rachel Chu have actually a very good way of like communicating with each other um which is something me and Liz mentioned like off air kind of but it's like a lot of rom-coms uh, the main, I guess, like, meat of the drama that happens is because, like, one of them screws up and that becomes, like, the whole big thing. Like, think about the movies where the male lead gets with the female lead purely because it was a bed by a friend and then they find out later and it's like, oh my god! And then they fall in love, but, like... Yeah, and they still That's fall in the love. big conflict, though. Yeah, and it's like, ooh, red flag, but, like, oh my god, I still love you, though. Um... And it's all like, oh, what's this love real or fake? Da, da, da. None of that really happens there. You don't really get any of that, like, like he loves me, he loves me not. I think they both are very aware that they both genuinely care for each other as a couple. But it's just the external factors, particularly um Nick's mother, played by the wonderful Michelle Yeoh, my unofficial mother. Um, But... <laughs> But yeah, I think like individually as characters, like Nick Young, for example, touched up a bit about it earlier, but he definitely falls in the lines of having like some cheesy writing here and there. But I think overall, he really is like just a character that you can tell from the get go. He just really loves Rachel, which is not going to lie. Also kind of refreshing to see because in typical rom-com fashion, because most rom-coms start at like the beginning of these two people meeting each other. This is just kind of like from the get-go. He really loves her. And halfway through, he's like, I'm actually going to marry her. Even though after re-watching the movie, I realized that they've only been together for a year. But that's not actually that short. 
given the fact that they're both old people. Oh. <laughs> like, they're not 18 in this film. They're, like, in their, like, late 20s slash 30s. They both have budding careers. They've both been basically living together. A year into a relationship at that point, it's not actually weird to want an engagement. Real? I think we are just young. Yeah, I'm like, I look at that, I'm like, ooh, girl, I don't think I would, if I was in Rachel's shoes, I would turn down the ring and not because of the extra family drama in between all of that. Um, but yeah, no, okay, you have a point there. <laughs> but it, it is really, like, nice to see, like, from, I guess, from a rom-com perspective that thematically it showcases a really different side to, like, how women are portrayed. Mm. Like, Rachel is significantly more headstrong. She's not waiting for somebody to come save her. She's yeah. not actually waiting for Nick to save her at any point in this show. No, literally. A big point of the film is literally how, like, even though, again, so many people around her are constantly like, oh my god, who is she? How did she get Nick Young, the most, like, eligible guy in the whole of Singapore or something like that? She is very, like, headstrong. I mean, she's an econ's professor. You find that out, like, first second in the movie. Um, she is very... No, not the first second. Now, in one of the early scenes, it's like she's basically teaching her class like yeah. about game theory and stuff like that. She's like, mm, I'm a pro econ's professor. She's smart. She's like, she's supposed to be really smart. That's why we like her. Mm -hmm. And like, yeah, we, we talked a lot about how Henry Golding's character is very much like in love with her and it does work for her, mm. like like work for her love and work for the relationships. But like she's doing equally as much. Yes. And she's also not like falling for it. She's making every decision off what works for her, not just because she really, really likes the hot man. Yeah. Um, because like we see that at the end with the Mahjong scene. Yes. Like she's given him up. She's given him up because she loves him. Yeah, exactly. And I, that scene is definitely one of the most, like, I think, poignant moments of not just, like, everyone's like, ooh, she just owned Michelle Yeoh's character. Oh, my God. It's really pivotal what you mentioned of, like, really showing how both of them genuinely really cared about each other as a couple. And it's very refreshing to see. Um, I'm just curious. Is the Majo scene something that happens in the original book? Or is that something they created for the movie? I think it was more of a film thing. Okay, well, I think it was really very much choice. highlighted more in the film because it was, in the film at least, in the Mahjong scene, it's less talking mm -hmm. and it's more like showcasing. I mean, like, to anyone that hasn't seen it, the main part is she showcases that she let the mother win. Yeah. She knows exactly which tiles the mom needs to win that game. She's been holding on to them and then she ends up giving them up. And she's, you find out at the end because they both put their tiles down that she she had the winning set. And she's just chosen to stand down, which is really important plot-wise, because it's paralleling everything that they're talking about. My memory of the book is very loose, <laughs> but I will fact-check myself, and I will tell you guys if the book had it, Thank too. You. Just speaking on themes, we did get a text message from Tharuki, who isn't here, who has some thematic uh, ideals that the like opinions they have on the film which we all think are very good so i'm just gonna read it and it's uh, i think eleanor's disapproval stems from protecting her family's legacy and traditions not just their social status she strongly doesn't really believe in mixing that lineage with someone that i guess they deem lesser than because you know they're old money they don't really want somebody outside of old money coming in because they don't know what this person wants the movie is trying to portray Rachel Chu as a breath of fresh air as she subverts the societal expectations of being a self-made successor and being just being overall really intelligent, which is something that me and Alicia just kind of basically just talked about. And um, she's trying to prove that success can be achieved by yourself without it having to be passed down to you. And also the film looks at how wealth can be a barrier in 
creating genuine connections and relationships with the people around them. We do have thoughts about this. Anyone want to share them? Oh, I think that's really that's probably clearest with Astrid's character, so Gemma Chan's character in the movie, which is quite different to the book. Basically, her character has a failing relationship with a man who doesn't come from like a rich family, and the film essentially portrays them as incompatible with each other because he is so insecure about his lack of wealth compared、mm. to her. Also, didn't he literally cheat on her yeah, as he well? Did. He did. Yeah, he did. So, <laughs> fun fact: I don't know if they do this in the movie, but he didn't. Really? <gasps> he was just lying. Yeah, in the book, he was just lying. <gasps> in the book, he made it up so that she would sign the divorce papers because he felt so pressured by the relationship. But now that, on further thinking about it. This very much parallels the relationship that we see with Nick Young and with Rachel Shu. Exactly, like, like it's actually a direct parallel. They're both poor, rich, rich, poor. Literally, I mean, there is like a scene where they both, the man, as Tracy famously said, like <laughs> the man and Rachel when they first meet in like the family. Party thing. There's so many of those scenes in a movie. I can't tell which family party. Um, when they meet for the first time, they were just like, "Oh yeah, like we're basically on the same boat." They're definitely trying to show that, yeah, these are like two different entirely parallels. But I still cannot believe the book. I'm so shocked right now. In the books, he lied about yeah, it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But in the film, they showed like. Astrid picks up the phone and then she sees a text message of like, "Oh, the bed is so empty without you," or something. I think that、like、happens that. in the book too. And like, he, he just fabricated he's that. He's really、text? lying. He's trying his real best. <laughs> I think like another difference between the book and the movie regarding Astrid's relationship is in the film she does not chase after him. She knows what she's worth. The portrayal of women in this film is a beyond measure, very very strong portrayal of、mm. how women deal with problems.、Um, but in the Book. She she chases after him. She tries、oh. to fix their ma- marriage, which is also very commendable. Trying to fix marriage is a very difficult feat, and I respect it a lot, regardless of how it showcases anyone. But it is interesting to see that difference.、Oh. Oh. So in the book, it's almost like Astrid and her ex-husband's relationship is like what Rachel and Nick could be if their、mm-hmm. relationship doesn't work out. It's like a sunken ship or something. It's like, like foreshadowing. Yeah, foreshadowing. Which. I'm so mad they didn't include that in the movie. It would have been a, a much better, more satisfying conclusion to Astrid's story. I mean, Astrid's story isn't quite done. Done.、Oh. I mean, the implications at the end of the film are that there will be more to her story,、yeah. seeing as she meets Her- Harry, Harry Shum Junior from Glee, <laughs> who is supposed to play one of her ex-like lovers.、Um, oh, comes back and he helps her try to chase after, like try to fix her marriage because he loves her. Harry's character is that dude. Oh my god! So, like, to those that don't know, I think that's a book kind of thing that you you'd pick up on it because it's like foreshadowing the next book. Because this soundtrack has some songs from like eighties Hong Kong, I decided to go crazy and play some that I really enjoyed and just want an excuse to play. This first one is Mong Ban by Anita Mui, Asian Madonna. I love her so much. Rest in peace. But yeah, this is this is a song by Anita Mui called Mong Ban. We are talking all about the 2018 rom-com Crazy Rich Asians, as Asians often do. No, we don't. Worst film of all time. 
prove me wrong. Best wrong come ever. <laughs> and we've just played three songs, all from the 70s and 80s. First up, we played Anita Moy with Meng Ban. After that, we played Leslie Chung with his song Monica. And lastly, we played Aaron Kwok with Generation Next. Probably my favorite counterpop song of all time. I guess, speaking of actors, movie stars, we're going to be talking about the casting of this movie, Crazy Rich Asians, and how we feel about it. So many thoughts. So many thoughts. So many thoughts a little time. Um, oh yeah, no, I, before we start talking about the people, I guess one of the reasons oh, yeah. why we are even going to go in-depth about the cast is that a big point of like this movie coming out and everything was like obviously like Asian representation on screen but also like I guess having way like in Hollywood it, yeah it was seen as a like a red carpet into a lot of these stars like kind of being able to continue to succeed in Hollywood and you keep seeing these faces over and over again and all and that one stuff. such face yeah <laughs> some that I don't want to see so often you know, um, like Michelle Yeoh I'm so happy to see everywhere yes that's because I love her so much real she deserves it she's done so much work for the community Aquafina on Aquafina no oh let's get started they really on this need to one, stop hey. <laughs> Aquafina probably Okay, there's a lot of people on this list that they are booked and busy, but I think Aquafina in my head, right after this movie came out, she was really, like, immediately booked and really busy the entire time. She became, like, the token Asian woman that they wanted to put in. It's like, you know, they, they needed a comedic side character, but they also wanted to hit the quota of, let's put an Asian in. Oh, look, there's an Asian comedy actor who happens to also be a woman. Aquafina. They couldn't have picked anyone else. They just picked her. There is one film that I think generally were like, okay, this one out of like the big Aquafina wave that we're in really is like showing most of her acting chops. It's the one um, that Ethan likes, The Farewell, yes? Mm-hmm. Yeah, The Farewell's good. <laughs> and that was like actually a really like, if you are interested in a movie about like really seeing a full like, I guess, Chinese family dynamic and how they process, like, grief and stuff like that. Um, hey, really recommend that one. She was not there to play, like, a comedic role. She was there as main protagonist going through an yeah. entire, like, family crisis thing. It was crazy to witness. Um, but yes, Liz, what were you going to say? I was just going to say she was actually also in a film last year that's less, like, because she's not playing the best friend role. She's, it's, um, it's called The Quiz. It's, like, a bit more serious. And by serious, I don't, I don't watch it. Oh, is it the one with Sandra Oh or yeah. something? Oh, okay. I think right. Sandra Oh actually plays the comedy. Oh. So it's a really nice change. But uh, I'm going to just own up to it now. I might be wrong. I really didn't like her in Crazy Rich In the film at all. No, me too. Um, there, there's been a notorious line that we've mentioned several times <laughs> off air that is very famously used during the production of the of like production and promo and everything about this film, which is the one where she's going like, fuck, fuck, bitch. <laughs> you can do a beep sound if you want. Um, and that is just so like, oh my god. Even rewatching it and hearing that whole scene pan out and happen, just I was rolling my eyes and I just, oh my god, I can't stand her humor, just full stop. And in this one, it was. Full waves of Aquafina humor. Because she has, like, her character yeah. as a whole family with her. Uh, so there's, like, humor with, like, some of her parents and stuff like that, which was, like, okay. But, God, oh, my God, the blonde wig. Oh, 
See, actually, the reason I hated this film was, you know, I talked about how I didn't like it because it was different from the book. She is single-handedly the reason it was different from the oh, book for me. Oh my god. Um, Xenia's left a note saying, after Crazy Rich Asians, you know, she kind of, you know, she played the best friend character, and that is the character she's kind of brought into every other movie. That's what got her all her gigs. In the film, I, I think I hated that part the most. So I think it's really interesting to see that that is what's given her her fame, but that is also the biggest difference between how the book portrays her. Because in the book, the way I imagined it was that she was like, she was rich. They're, they're like nouveau riche. They're not like old money. Her dad's like, does property development. That's how they have their money. And that's also how he knows who the youngs are. Um, and basically the whole shtick is that she's like, this girl with a very, like, heartland name. I mean, her name's not even English. It's in, like, I think it's in, like, Chinese. She's, like, Rachel's best friend from Singapore, but she's also, like, very staunchly Singaporean. Mm. And then my first scene I see her, she walks in with that Aquafina vocal pattern, and I'm like, this is not a Singaporean woman. Yeah, and then we get to Singapore, and I'm like, okay, you know, we can forgive it. Maybe maybe she's just Americanized. God forbid. <laughs> um, Unideal. And and then we arrive in Singapore, and then we see Ken, and then he also talks in the most American accent ever, and I'm like, oh, okay, so they've turned this family into comedy relief. That's not what they're there for. They're there as, like, her one tie to Singapore that she actually knows about that isn't Henry Golding's character. And the, oh, oh no, bad, 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 terrible, no good. I think Ken Jong play anyone who isn't American is just, he, he, he can't do it. Like, it takes me out of it a bit. We have so many Singaporean actors, guys. Yeah. And you could have just casted Singaporean actors as the family that plays the best friend who is Singaporean. It's not that difficult. Really not that difficult. There is one Singaporean actor later that I'll talk about that definitely should not have been cast. <laughs> <laughs> but that's okay. We, we move on. <laughs> Isn't the the mother of the Peglin family probably the only character in the whole movie who speaks like Singlish? Like her- not the only one, but yes. Um, Eleanor's friends, like the aunties. Yeah, oh, yeah, they do. They're like a famous comedy troupe called the Dim Sum Dollies. Oh, yeah, that's cute. They're also Singaporean, and also um, Rachel Chu's mother. Right. Yeah, is a Singaporean actress, and Astrid's husband, who I hate. Is um also a Singaporean actor. Okay, let's talk about Astrid Sussman, who you hate. Okay, so Pia Pong. Oh. Um, uh, <laughs> his accent changes every other. Like, this man cannot keep a straight accent. So, you are Singaporean. Just use your Singaporean accent. It's not that hard. You're not supposed to be upper class. Why are you making up a weird accent that you cannot keep a hold of? <laughs> Honey, you can act. You've been in so many things. Can you just get your shit together and stop giving us a bad name? Please, thank you. Okay, I'm done. <laughs> Damn, that was a big PSA <laughs> moment. Yeah, and I think like part of the reason why he is kind of excruciating in this movie is because he's always opposite Gemma Chan. Yeah. And Gemma Chan is really good. Yeah, and the thing is, her character having an accent makes sense. Yeah. My accent's changed again, um, and that's okay. <laughs> but her character having an accent makes sense because she's, like, this upper-class aristocrat who's, like, basically lived in London, like, for a majority of her life. Her and Henry Golding have very, like, aristocratic British-esque accents. That's fine. He's Singaporean. He doesn't need to have an aristocratic accent. In fact, his entire plotline actually relies on him not yeah. being aristocratic. Exactly. He he's rich. 
He's like self-made. Yeah, he is actually self-made. The tech startup guy. Yeah, that's the point. He's also just as wealthy as she is. He just didn't come for money. Why they? Why they gave him that? Oh, mm. oh I also on the topic of accents. It's really interesting to me how they cast two Australians in this movie. Aussies. Aussies, and I think it's because they wanted like Nick Young's like friends and family to all have British accents. Like Michelle Yeoh kind of has a British accent because she lives there, and also she puts it on. And obviously Henry Golding, big British man. And they have two Australians. Alistair is played by an Australian called Remy High, and Chris Koo is played by Chris Pang, who is also Australian. Yeah. And he can't keep his accent straight. Like, he's trying to do, a, like, an upper-class British accent, but he does, like, no, like, in his second scene. <laughs> like, the scene where they were all eating in the Singaporean, like, food court, and you're like, oh, he's Australian. But I think Americans probably won't notice that. They won't. And, like, just on the point of accents, because you guys were talking about Michelle Yeoh, mm. it is, like, really important, at least for me. I don't know if Alicia feels the same way. Hi. I don't know if it's the same in Malaysia. But, you know, when you meet your rich friend's parents and they speak with a very specific accent because they were never, they never, they don't like the Malaysian slash Singaporean accent because yes. they think it's too, like, lower class, not really, like, aristocratic enough. Yes. They speak I, in that accent. Yes. Yes, I I think Lee also will agree on me on that department. Yes, there is like a specific demographic, especially when it's like somebody who's got been to overseas like for a month and then they come back and then they're immediately like, yes, I adopt this entire accent and this is my brand now. Yeah, yeah, I know. But like, so basically, like in Singapore, a lot of my friends, it's not like an accent they've put on. A lot of these people have never gone overseas. It's just like a. Some of my friends have been banned from a young age from speaking in Singlish. And because of that, they developed this, like, British-esque Anglophile, Anglophiled accent. And I feel like Michelle Yeoh does a really good job, but I think that's just because she happens to actually be that one Asian mother. (laughs) (laughs) I love her so much. I love her so much. Like, oh my gosh. We just went through, like, a sea of, like, characters that were all, like, oh, the accents, oh, why are they bad? Let's talk about people we like. Yeah, Michelle Yeoh... To me, it's like, uh, y'all already know I love her. I say this like every year. I feel like I have to have a mandatory yeah, one mommy. moment of me being like, Michelle Yo, boom, that's a star. But no, genuinely in this movie, like, to me, but I really like Constance Wu acting and all that stuff, especially in like a rom-com setting. She kind of eats mm. that whole like vibe of strong woman kind of going through all of this stuff happening to her. But Michelle Yo, as like, not necessarily, because her character is not, like, portrayed as an Asian tiger mom type thing. No. No, not at all. It's more of, like, a... I don't know, like, she's a complex mother. Um, She, she kind of she, she kind of is a tiger mom in, like, the sense of the term that she's quite scary. Yeah. Um, But her, her character is very complex in the sense that she's dealt with so much. Mm. And you, you kind of, like, see her character's sacrifices that she's made for the family, which explains why she feels that way about Rachel's character. Like mm. Rachel. And in the beginning, when we're introduced to that family, the racism that they face and how they deal with it is also a really interesting, I guess, representation of how powerful that family is. We kind of glossed over it, but the entire intro is basically that Henry Golding's character and Astrid, Nick Young and Astrid are children in this. And, you know, like, the it's the two families, only the mothers. So it's these two Asian women and their, their kids. They're, they're in the pouring rain. They've entered the hotel, clearly with intention. And the moment they are, they walk in, they're, they're met with these people that basically go, 
why are you here if you want to go to Chinatown? Like, there are hotels in the district that you could go to. You can't afford this place. And they're like, we have the presidential suite. Like, we have a lot of money is the implication. And they're, they're dressed nicely. They're just so rained on. They look a bit ratty. Um, the kids are, like, running around. And it really is these two parents, two, like, upper-class women talking to these white men, the only white people on the show. Um, and when they, they, they go, okay, fine. She leaves. Eleanor makes a call comes back in and they go, oh, do you need directions to like another hotel? And literally the owner of the hotel comes down and goes, oh, these are the new owners. That's the show of power. She doesn't say much. She's like silent, silent, but deadly. Very scary, scary woman. No, that's a perfect way to put it. Yeah, that's like basically her character. And I mean, Michelle, oh God, what more can we say? She just does it so well. Obviously, I think we mentioned a past that is like Michelle Yeoh's filmography, very extensive beyond just what you see in Hollywood's eyes, but definitely mm-hmm. her being a part of Crazy Rich Asians. And much, much later in Everything, Everywhere, All at Once really made like, I feel like especially the start being Crazy Rich Asians really kind of put was the beginning part of it putting put her, her in Hollywood on the Hollywood map, even though she has been such a prevalent figure already in oh, yeah. Asian cinema full stop. Like, and that's I'm like, mother. And I'm so proud of that because, like, I guess from a Singaporean perspective, it's like, she's Malaysian. Yes. So it's like the closest thing I have to another, like, to my person, yes. <laughs> my country's representation being on the screen is like crazy for me because it was like, her being successful shows success on the Southeast Asian countries that she represents, which is such a heavy burden to hold. But the fact that she's she's done it makes it sound like and makes it feel like we can do that too. Mm. That's all. I love that woman. I love that woman so much and everything she's done. (gasps) This is Asian Pop Nation. We are doing a deep dive tonight about crazy rich Asians. And right now we are talking about... How we feel about the casting in this movie and what the members of the cast have gone on to do after Crazy Rich Asians. Earlier when we ended it off, it was primarily talking about Michelle Yeoh, and I think we're slowly yeah. inching into main cast uh, territory. She, she is main cast. Yeah, she, <laughs> she is. is. She's, she is the main cast. Um, and I guess it is important to talk about... Henry Golding? Henry Golding, the main male lead. Also Malaysian. It's a win in my eyes. I wouldn't mind too, okay? (laughs) But Henry Golding. Oh my god, what is the screenshot of this YouTube comment? Henry has this very welcoming, like, it's Christmas type of face. What? (laughs) It's Christmas type of face. It's it's Christmas. I don't even know what to say. I think it's just because he looks very nice. He just looked like a nice man. Wasn't he also in that Christmas movie? Yes, yeah, was. I was oh, gonna bring yeah. this up. But yes, Henry Golding. Now, yes, started out as main pro tag. I would say, like, this was definitely for him, like, acting career wise, his big break moment. I think it was his first role. Because he's, no, he's been in like smaller productions and stuff, but that is like local Malaysian cinema oh, and stuff like that. He also used to do like tour guide content across Malaysia. I think and he's stuff. gone back to doing that, if I'm being kind honest of, with you. Really? I just know that that was literally how he started out, like local Malaysian TV channel, and he'd be like doing a tour around with his British accent and everything going around Malaysia. It was kind of cute. That's just his accent. Yeah, that's You've just... You've got to be nice to the man. Exactly. That's just him. He can't do much He has it. it. <laughs> He's 
that, unlike the rest of the minor characters that were like, damn, why are they faking this? That man just has it. (laughs) He has the accent. Um, But yeah, this was like his first major acting role in like a big Hollywood rom-com film. I think we mentioned like a bit earlier that again his character does get a lot of like the cheesy romantic lines, but I think with a face like his and trying not to fangirl about him is hard. Um, but just with someone like him who again just gives him a very nice face and whatever can do no wrong sort of aura, he delivers them well. Like I think his role in this, he served what he had to do as loving boyfriend turned fiance moment. Yeah. Because his character really doesn't have too much of, like... As it compared to, like, Constance Wu and Michelle Yeoh... He's not really the main character. Yeah. Compared to those two that really... They're the ones bringing all the emotional factor of the movie. He doesn't really have that sort of scenes laid out for him. And that's okay. That's okay. So he's literally just there. The most I can think about is, like, the proposal scene in the plane. But that's just him being like, I love you so much. Um, And I think he delivers that on the being so lovey-dovey about his partner. He did, like, end up getting a few gigs right after, like, yes. like a simple favor. Yes, um, that's true. The Gentleman, Assassin's Club, Snake Eyes, and the Christmas one called yes, last, last, last Christmas. Christmas. Based on, literally, the Wham! song, Last Christmas. Is it actually? It actually is. <sighs> I watched it on Christmas Day, like, two years ago or so, and I actually did not realize it was supposed to be in reference to the Wham! song. I don't want to spoil it, but... Okay. But, yeah, I just... Yeah, they really are inspired by the lyrics, I'll say that. And the soundtrack is just all Wham! songs. So, they were really in it. That but movie is wild. That movie it's is so kind wild. of wild. I kind of love it, though, weirdly it's enough. bizarre. <laughs> I haven't seen it. I want to watch it. It's like peak. To me, that's like, in Henry Golding's filmography, Post Crazy Rich Asians, that's like, top class to me. <laughs> um... But, yeah, I would say, like, he definitely had the ball rolling after this movie with, like, a few stuff. Um, But I would say, as of now, he's kind of just chilling, honestly. I think he's just happy. Yeah, I think he's just happy to live his life. He still gets invited to, like, big Asian Hollywood events type of thing. Like, you'll see him there. I've seen his face, like, pop up in and out on my feed online once in a while. And I'm like, hey, you're the man! <laughs> but, yeah, I think he's, like... I don't want to say the word jobless, but he's happily not picking up, like, major, major gifts because he's got a family, and honestly, good for him. Voluntarily jobless. (laughs) Voluntarily jobless. I was watching this interview with him, and he made it seem, like, he said that he turned down the um, audition so many times because he was like, I'm not an actor. There are so many actors who would probably do a much better job than me, but they kept on insisting that he audition for the role and play the part. So I guess he also, I think he's aware of the fact that he's not an actor, (laughs) Mm. and he's just happy that he gets to act now and then. He's happy to be I don't think he, like, lives for acting or whatever. Yeah. I think, you know, happy being him. I think he also got, like, a lot of hate. Oh, yeah, he did. Because he was, like, this mixed man who got, like, the role of, quote-unquote, like, supposed to be premier, like, Bachelor of Singapore, Asian, Chinese, Singaporean man. And he's, like, famously not a Chinese, Singaporean man. (laughs) Actually, in fact, very much a mixed. But I I think that it kind of makes me think that he just got bullied off of cinema. Aww. Like, it makes me feel like maybe he didn't do a lot more after because of the fact that he got hate. Because the same went for Constance Wu. Oh, yeah. That's the only reason I think that. Because, like, the main couple kind of 
got the most hate. Yeah, got the most hate. The um, comedy bit characters did really well out of the movie, but the main cast did. The people who didn't deserve to do well did really well. <laughs> well, mine is like Gemma Chung. I think she's like... Oh, no, Gemma. Yeah. I love Gemma, oh, too. Gemma is booked and busy and constantly on the roll. Yes. But I think as we touch about Constance Wu, do we want to talk more about... I would like to. Constance Wu, uh, Miss Rachel. I think it was really interesting, at least walking in, and the only other thing I knew Constance Wu from would have been Fresh Off the Boat, where she plays a tiger mom. And then seeing her go from Asian-American tiger mom to Asian-American not tiger mom, actually, (laughs) in fact, very much uh, independent, young, everything that she would have hated in Fresh Off the Boat, Mm. I think I was like... Oh, I need to switch my brain off. Because <laughs> all I can see is fresh off the boat. It's just because she's been branded so much into yeah, that character. Yes. That was a couple of years worth of one character, one oh, it tone. Was like five years or something. Yeah, that was a yeah. long series. And it was like her first like breakout role mm-hmm. that she was known for as well. It was like, this was the only other thing we had seen her in. It would be a bit like Daniel Radcliffe with like Harry Potter. Yeah, like yeah, That's yeah. all everyone saw him as. And I feel like that would have been the same with Constance Wu, except on a much smaller scale. Mm. Um, but yeah, no, she also got bullied off the internet. Yeah, she did. Like, didn't she, like, she basically, like, quit because Twitter bullied her so hard. Yeah, she made a tweet that was, like, um, really sad that Fresh Off the Boat got renewed because I had a few more projects lined up. And everyone was like, you're really ungrateful. And, like, that destroyed a lot of the goodwill she had built up from like this movie and obviously being a good actress and then she didn't do anything else for a bit yeah she had a like a a mental health crisis let's just put it that way yeah i mean i would be too if like my only big role put me into like the spotlight and then instead of being welcomed into it i got bullied yeah so apparently she's coming back she like released a book she did a broadway movie yes she was in a little shop of horrors Horrors. yeah most recently she also got a lot of hate for that but that's okay I think she's used to hate that. I, the poor, she's not actually that bad. Just a, There's a clip of her singing Suddenly Seymour, right. like that surface. And it was like, I think one of the first weeks of their run. Mm. So she wasn't that good, mm. which is fair. I mean, it's her first time doing Broadway. And everyone was like, See, she's so shit. Why they cast her? She can't sing. We don't want her in this show. And it's just like, calm, calm down, guys. Well, Please. Sad. Uh, let's talk about someone whose career took off after Crazy Rich Asians, and that's Ronnie Chang. Oh, girl. <laughs> Our favorite winter uni Melb Malaysian man. Oh. Who came up in the Australian comedy circuit and oh. now is in America doing every single asshole businessman role in American Literally. <laughs> He's eating in that one category, and I guess good for him, question mark. Is this, is Crazy Rich Asians the first documented instance of Ronnie Chang playing an asshole <laughs> businessman character? Is this like Ground Probably. Zero? Jesus. It was the start of it all. And it started then- a lot. Aquafina, Ronnie Chang. Again, it's the big like comedy people that got like this was their big break moment. So I guess in the rom com scheme of things, the comedy aspect of it really uh took off for this one. Hey, and not any of the romance elements. Like he was in Joyride, he was in Shang Chi, he was in Megan, and in all of them he played asshole businessmen. That's just the name of the character, Arsenal Business. Yeah, literally. And he is booked and busy with that, like, typecasting a load, and he's eating it up for sure. I also just wanted to end off with Sonoya Mizono, who played Araminta. 
And I specifically wanted to bring her up because Ethan is here. <laughs> and she was in La La Land. Yeah, that I know. And in Ex Machina. Ex Machina. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. She played like a kind of minor character in Crazy Rich Asians, but she's played much larger roles outside of that. What does yeah. she play like in Ex Machina? Is she like kind of main? No, so she has a lot of high-profile movies, but she's always been, like, a side character. Like, especially in La La Land and Ex Machina, like, I don't think she has, like, major speaking roles. Mm-hmm. Like, I don't think she had a speaking role in Ex Machina. She was kind of just, like, a quiet robot. Then why isn't Crazy Rich Asians on her list of things that she's Yeah, that's what I thought. I, I didn't even realize she was in Crazy Rich Asians. She's actually pretty good. Like, she just plays the bubbly wife. In that wedding scene with the water, like, that's her walking down the aisle. She has a lot of energy to her that I like. But yeah. All right, time for some more songs. Okay, what have I got for you next? Oh, these are the these are the Lee songs. <laughs> a couple of them are also my songs. Oh, okay. So we doubled do, do you guys want to introduce them? <gasps> Oh, the first one is my pick. Oh, oh my gosh. Well, I guess like after this little deep dive of the cast and stuff and looking to what they're up to, I guess let's go with a very cute, lighthearted song coming from a new album called Trust Me. It's Yu-Gi-Oh! with his song One Minute here on Asia Pop Nation. Hey y'all, you're listening to Asian Pop Nation right here on Sin. If you're just tuning in to our show right now, we've been doing a massive deep dive of Crazy Rich Asians, but not only that, we've been playing a lot of fun tracks, such as the song titled One Minute by Korean soul artist Yu Gyum, also from the group Got Seven. And not only that, we also played the song titled Just Like That, which is by the Japanese group Psychic Fever featuring JP the Wavy, not to be confused with JP the man. <laughs> And we know on our show. Um, and lastly, we also played the song title Can't Live Without You, which is also by another group, Lee's favorite group, in fact, <laughs> called OK Pop. Wow. But yes, like I mentioned earlier, if you're just tuning in right now, we've been doing a massive deep dive into all things Crazy Rich Asians. Imagine basically an audio essay of this entire movie that existed back in 2018. You know, we've taken the trip down memory lane of everything to do with the movie itself but now we kind of want to how would you sum it up tracy we're just kind of zooming out a bit yes very movie terminology we're going to zoom out a bit and sort of look at like i guess if people talk about crazy rich asians its main impact was asian stories in hollywood being seen as actually like feasible to make and to finance and be seen by people and be like profitable um, because prior to Crazy Rich Asians, Asian-centered stories were very much seen as like mm. something that would never happen. <laughs> yeah, we didn't have a lot of representation. Like we were in shows, but we weren't like central. Yeah, and especially in like rom-com sense, if I'm thinking like traditional Hollywood rom-coms, literally you would hardly ever see like oh, two Asian not. like leads being together and in love, like, just point blank. Yeah. yeah. Or seeing them as, like, an actual... I think especially when Crazy Rich Asians came out, the big point was, like, with Henry Golding specifically being, like, yeah. oh, Asian men being viewed not as, like, ridiculed and stuff like that, but actually seeing seen as a love interest. When the Sony emails were leaked, there was actually an email from Aaron Sorkin where he was talking about a project which he was writing and he basically said something along the lines of this will never get greenlit because one of the main characters is an Asian man and there are no Asian movie stars in Hollywood. (laughs) Which very much summarizes how people saw Asian actors back then. Like, Like, that's such an awful way of looking at it. Like, you guys just aren't looking hard enough. Yeah, 
Yeah. Literally in the trenches. But I feel time. like movie execs are very numbers-based, and they're like, oh, if we put this actor in the movie, it will increase its profitability by 35% or whatever. <laughs> and Asian actors were never given opportunities to lead movies, and so yeah. they were never seen as someone who could like carry a movie with their star power. And it became this whole cycle of just like no one writing for Asian characters, yeah. and then no one being given actual roles that were good and so none of them being able to actually uh, prove themselves. And also like even with shows that did have Asian representation to begin with like 21 mm. you know it's a film that was based on a real life event that was predominantly um, like an Asian centered it would have been an Asian centered cast but they ended up just basically re like casting everyone to be mainly white people. Yeah. Because I guess the mentality was that if it was all about Asians no one would want to watch it yeah and this happened in t- 2008 like it wasn't that long ago like it was 10 years before crazy rich asians came out i feel like that's like genuinely like typical um i'm, I'm gonna say a very hot take and it's like typical american mentality where the rest mm-hmm. of the world doesn't count yeah like they think the super bowl's like the biggest event of, <laughs> in the world but it's not yeah 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 just the whole way they see, like, they, they saw Crazy Rich Asians as a really risky move because they were mm. like, people are going to see all these Asian characters on screen and they're not going to be able to process any of the emotions these characters are feeling because they can't relate to them. <laughs> like, there's the rest of the world, guys. Yeah. Like, we exist. But also, like, white Americans from, you know, the Midwest can watch Crazy Rich Asians and feel emotions. Or, or, like, even pay money to go see it. You know, it's a, it's it's not an exclusive, like, if you have an Asian character, it's an Asian movie and only Asian people will see it. I actually have a really interesting uh, segue on that uh, regarding Turning Red. Turning Red got a review um, from a white man basically being like, I can't, this is such an unrelatable oh, film. Yeah. No one can relate to this. Who know, who else understands this? Sanders says this, like, no one will understand this. It's so unrelatable. And I'm just, like, reading that, and I'm like, you know, like, the other 50% of the population are women, right? Who are probably also growing up and going through puberty. Mm. And secondly, if you want to cut out all the women from this, a lot of boys grow up and also learn independence. Because yeah. the show was pretty much about, like, a girl kind of growing away from her parents, not because she doesn't love them anymore, mm. but because she's learning what she loves, she's learning about herself. And yeah. she's hitting puberty. I don't know what this man was on when he wrote that <laughs> review. Yeah, usually when people say something is unrelatable, it's like, this is a movie about a really horrible person and none of the characters are redeemable. But this one is just like a very unoffensive Disney movie and like slamming it for being unrelatable. Anyway, before yeah, we get ahead yeah. of ourselves, let's talk a bit more about the state of Asian representation in Hollywood pre-Crazy uh, Rich Asians. I wanted, yeah, I wanted to bring up Joy Luck Club. Joy Luck Club was, I think, the first all-Asian cast in a Hollywood movie before Crazy Rich Asians, I think. I would say so, yeah. Yeah, like it in was a Hollywood released in 1993. Sense, yeah. And it actually features one of the members of the cast was in Crazy Rich Asians. It was in Crazy Rich Asians. Which one? Um, uh, with, with the white oh. hair. Oh! The one that plays, like, the young, like, Nick Young's, like, grandma. Yeah, yeah. Stuff. Oh! I really like her because she has this serene smile through the whole first half of the movie, <laughs> and you're like, oh, she, she likes she likes Rachel, right? She does not. She does not. Yeah, she's like, oh, Rachel, you have a nice-shaped nose. Like, oh, slay. <laughs> and then two seconds later, get this woman out of your family. <laughs> <laughs> she she was in Joy Luck Club as one of the main cast in that oh, movie. Oh, wow. But it is a very sad story about how being an Asian woman is suffering. 
After Joy Luck Club, the following year, 1994, Margaret Cho released a sitcom called All American Girl. Oh, I took this on like, the Wikipedia page. The series is notable for being one of the first primetime sitcoms to focus on an Asian-American family. Um, ABC attempted to counter low ratings by retooling the show into an ensemble season about Margaret and her white friends. Oh, God. But the revamping was unsuccessful and the series was cancelled after one season. <laughs> oh. Oh, wow. Uh, Jesus. Yeah. So, not a very good representation, guys. No, not good representation and obviously not supported by the network. But I think it walked, it stepped out of the house so that Fresh Off the Boat could run because Fresh True. Off the Boat came onto our screens in 2015. It featured Constance Wu, Randall Park, a lot of smart children. <laughs> and one not smart child. <laughs> <laughs> and it was actually like a good, uh, really popular sitcom that people watched. And it was really revolutionary at the time because they were like, this is crazy. This is really Why risky. is it doing so well? All Why the Asians were in it. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> What's wrong? Yeah. So I feel like if Fresh of the Boat hadn't, hadn't happened, like, Crazy Rich Asians might not have been so successful. Also because people knew who Constance Wu was from Crash of the Boat, and if they cast someone who didn't have that name recognition in Crazy Rich Asians, it might not have done so well. I don't think Constance Wu had that kind of recognition, though. No? Yeah? I don't... I, I feel like... Wasn't she, like, generally seen as the standout of the cast? Like, she yeah, was kind yeah, of... Yeah, it was. Yeah. It kind of became, like, a star vehicle for Constance Wu. It was, it was. I think she probably, like, was the most famous person there. Maybe besides Michelle Yeoh. But Michelle's Yeoh, Michelle Yeoh's name at that point didn't have the same kind of effect it would yeah. have now. And also, like, I remember, like, they were trying to emphasize, like, Ken Jong's character and stuff. Because Ken Jong has been in very successful bankable movies, and adding Ken Jong to a movie increases his profitability <laughs> by 20%. <laughs> I, oh, mm, mm. Then Crazy Rich Asians came out, and mm. the whole world changed. Yeah. And butterflies and everything. Wow. I mean, before we like talk about, I guess, like the movies that came out of the success of Crazy Rich Asians, I think it'd be also really, it's also really important to note that it also had an impact in a way that wasn't just, oh, more movies. It was an impact that maybe brought some actors back into acting. Yes. 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 We'll get to that in the next segment. But first, we've got to break for some more music. How about that, guys? I think Hell we did yeah. see that happening. We're going to play some more songs. Oh, yes. And one of these songs is a quite recent release that I've been tuning into from the 88 Rising new collective called 1999 Write the Future. And it's the song titled Silence Stares Me Down. Hey guys, you're listening to Asian Pop Nation right here on Sin. If you're just tuning into our show right now, we just played two tracks. Firstly, the song titled Silence Stares Me Down by the new 88 Rising collective called 1999 Write the Future. And after that, we played the song titled Baby Blue, which comes from the artist Rocco. And now that we're kind of reaching towards the end, we are continuing the little conversation that we had a little bit earlier about how crazy rich Asians essentially um Tracy you're good at explaining this thing um open the doors <laughs> yeah, to how- Asian representation in Hollywood and mainstream media yes thank you sorry not I'm Tracy. not Tracy <laughs> thank you thanks Tracy <laughs> you're welcome Tracy <laughs> But yeah, that was what we were talking about initially, and now we're diving more into the successors of all kind of the stuff that's been released. 
pass um crazy rich asians so before we yes. were put on a song break i did tee up that crazy rich asians not just open the doors for other films but it brought back some actors a singular actor would somebody like to say his name because i actually don't know it <gasps> i know who he is and that's ah! it Hell yeah. When, you know, the film called Everything Everywhere All at Once. Just a small underground film. film. I don't think any of y'all have heard it. We totally haven't, like, mentioned it every single time when it was coming out. It was basically almost like a Squid Game 2.0 for us. You know, one of the big stars from that film is Kihu Kwan. And if you ever tune into, like, interviews and stuff that they did during the time, one of his big things that got him back into acting was Crazy Rich Asians, him yeah. watching the film and seeing a like a all Asian cast and being like, whoa, Hollywood did that? That's crazy. Yeah, and like I mean what we were saying earlier about how like the lack of representation was kind of deterring people from auditioning for roles, that's actually preci- precisely why he quit Hollywood. Because he was just getting pulled in for roles that were side characters yeah. or like that one token character. Yeah. And he was like, I don't like the representation that I'm receiving, so he just quit. Mm-hmm. And also he was a child actor and yeah. he sort of kept on working uh, as an actor throughout his teens. But like he mentions that like when he was getting these awful, awful roles, he was like in his 20s and stuff. And that's usually when actors are like in the prime of their like employability because yeah. we live in a society. But he was like getting less and less roles. But Crazy Rich Asians happened and now we have Kiwi Kwan back in the movies. And we're very yeah. cool for that. Yes. And I always find like the funny tidbit about everything everywhere all at once. <sighs> Every time I hear it, low-key, my blood boils a little bit, but I'm also like, I'm glad the universe, we're in this different pathway instead <laughs> about the fact that, you know, Stephanie Shu, um, oh, yeah. Stephanie Shu's character was originally supposed to be Aquafina that was gonna snap that role. That was their plan. And I'm so grateful that didn't happen. Kind because of... now we have films with Stephanie Shu in them. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Thank God. I mean, it's kind of like how, what was it, they originally wanted Jackie Chan to be the main one instead of Michelle Yeoh, but he turned it down? No, no, that oh, was no. like an original, like, pitch or something. Yeah. And then they were like, actually, it would probably be better if we had a woman as the Yeah, woman. female lead and all that yeah. stuff, yeah. Wait, was this for Crazy Rotations? No, everything everywhere. Every, all of one. Oh, you're so right, you're so right. And I'm also so grateful for that, because... <laughs> yeah, I'm so grateful we're Like, Jackie Chan was a huge part of my childhood, but I'm, I'm okay with him not being part of it anymore. That's Real. a good way to put it. Yeah. Like, Karate <laughs> Kid was great. Yeah. But that's full stop. <laughs> He also did Rush Hour, a little movie called Rush Hour. Oh my god, right, we forgot all of those films because Jackie Chan is not relevant anymore. (laughs) But, like, basically, like, now a lot of the films are, like, you see a very different cast every time. Yes, there is, there are a few faces you see once or twice, cough, cough, but, um, you do also, we also are now seeing more people, and I think that's a huge change from the precursor where there were the very much the token characters like you've got Jackie Chan you've got somebody else <laughs> but yeah. would we like to go through the list of films that came out recently starting in t- 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 2019 oh yes A24 basically I mean we literally talk about everything everywhere all at once which we is did. also in the A24 but right before that sphere but before that we had a movie that you know we touched on a bit when we were talking about Aquafina as a actress alone and that is The Farewell yeah. <gasps> actually a really good movie yeah like 
it's just God, Aquafina. Oh, just a sigh comes out every time I say her name. <laughs> Um, check it out I guess yeah like it's actually a really good movie and again the most like you girls not cracking up any jokes in that movie um and again along in the A24 sphere we also have Minari which was out in 2020 I feel like that movie was so big when it came out and people were like whoa like let's give them all awards but then no one remembers it anymore yeah no when the trailer came out everything I saw people like oh yes I'm so hype and whatever but then once it like award season it was like yeah, like it's it came in one area and not the other. Mm. But, but but I know a lot of people who are like that is one of their favorite movies ever. I, I know Ethan doesn't feel the same about that. I don't know for the narring. Yeah, I mean another big one was Parasite. Oh, mm. I feel like it was very much the equivalent of Crazy Rich Asians. I think it's predominantly because Crazy Rich Asians was 2018, and then right after a really yeah. high was like Parasite bringing Asian cinema full stop into yeah. Hollywood. Yes, exactly. I was like, Parasite's like the interesting case of like, that is like Asian cinema. That was like a one-two punch. Yeah, my be- favorite quote was the director just being like, when you learn <laughs> to read while you watch films, yeah, yeah, yeah. it opens a whole new yeah. world, guys. <laughs> and people still reference it like till this day because yes. ooh, Hollywood still has a big problem about that. Yeah. Like, like it's not that difficult <gasps> to just sub. <laughs> Yeah, anime people have been doing it for years. True. <laughs> K-drama people, too. Yeah. Disney comes in. We've got uh, Shang-Chi. Yeah. Oh, Turn yes. Red. With the Simulu. Like, I put all these things together because they're, like, they're not... First of all, they're not... They're probably the first movies on this list who aren't, like, which aren't great. They're just, like, entertainment movies. Like, The Farewell yeah. and The Min- Minaris and Parasites are all, like, art house movies that are, like, deep and meaningful. Whereas Shang-Chi is not. Shang-Chi is just a Marvel movie. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it is a Marvel movie. It's just, it's one of those where it's like, oh my god, an Asian man as a superhero. It gave us Simulu. It gave us Simulu, which, (laughs) another sigh needed for that man. Um, And I mean, Aquafina. I I actually didn't hate him in Shang-Chi. Yeah, he's And then I saw him five more times after that, and I was like, ah. Yeah, like, I actually think, like, acting-wise, the dude's okay. I just, not a fan of him outside. He was really good in Barbie, though. Ooh, that's Ken. <laughs> no, no, I didn't hate him in, in Bobby. I just, I was like, I was yeah. like, this is him. Yeah, it is. Like, that's cast just him, him yes. perfectly. It's, uh, yeah. 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 I mean, the memes, it, it did give us the memes of how he used to do, um, what was that? Like, he just used to do, like, photos. He, he's in all oh, these stock, he, stock, he stock footage. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, I, I'm grateful for that because that, that is actually him as Ken. Love Stock for Oh my Ken. god, it is! It's a Ken universe! <laughs> oh That's it's, so right. It's a Ken universe and we're all living in it. Um, and then everything, everywhere, all at once, and then you've got more Disney. Yeah. Um, and then Joyride. Yeah, Joyride I wanted to touch on 2023 because it was actually directed and written by Adele Lim, who was a writer on Crazy Rich Asians, and um, it was made as a direct result of the bad deal she got after Crazy Rich Asians. It wasn't very oh, good. It wasn't a very good deal. Um, reportedly, Warner Bros. offered her co-screenwriter, a white man, um, between 800k to 1 million at the start of negotiations, whereas she was offered like 100k. Oh, yeah. So like one-eighth or one-tenth. And this is why the writer's strikes are important, guys. Yes, exactly. <gasps> so, Joy Bride, actually really funny movie. Um, if you like American comedy movies, you will like Joyride. If you don't, you'll hate it. 
it's it's a it's a good film in the sense that like the storyline is very like poignant. Mm-hmm. I just didn't like it. Yeah, I didn't love like it. Like the part where they got stranded and had to go had and to like be a K-pop group. No, not even that part. <laughs> The part right before where they actually had a ride from the basketball team, and then what happened oh in the hotel, God. I was just like, Ooh. "Yeah." And and Chris Pang was in the. It's like I don't like this guy. <laughs> Chris Pang of Crazy Rich Asians. The man strikes again. Turns up in Joy Ride as essentially like like a hot person. <laughs> that was his role. Hot person, man number he one. Was just you know like what? <laughs> Asian people being considered just hot people. I'm okay with that too. Yeah, this is still progress. This, this is progress. way better than the nerdy weeb exclusive archetype we got before. Where like there are nerdy weebs who are mm-hmm. agents, but there are also people who are just hot and have nothing going on in their brains, and that is also representation. Yeah, and like I think there were like TV shows that came out quite recently. Oh yeah, American Born Chinese. Yeah, and Never Have I Ever. Never Have I Ever. Like that being completely centered around an Asian character is mm. very good progress. Also, because she's not also actually to all the boys I love came out in like, twenty eighteen, so, so like roughly the same time as like Crazy Rich right. Asians oh, time. Really? Yeah, okay. and that's like always to me like damn, like they exist. Yeah, yeah, that one is really interesting. It's not like an Asian story where like the whole cast is Asian, but. Like, the main character is Asian. Yeah. Yes. So it's like an inverse... I feel like that's why they they probably greenlit it. Because mm. it's not an Asian story. Yeah. It just so happens she's half Asian. <laughs> mm-hmm. Coincidentally. <laughs> I am glad that they didn't turn her into a full white. Yeah. Because that... It wouldn't have changed the plot. It would have just really offended a lot of people. Yeah. And now we have Lara Condor. We do. We do. Oh, so each her. of these movies sort of grants us a star who is allowed to make more movies and TV See, shows. See, but then they made Kitty XO. <laughs> yes, <Thank> XO <laughs> Kitty, yes. And that one, like, the way y'all talk about, oh, that movie, it's like, Mark, like yeah. oh, to all the boys I love is Marcus Orr, because that's not, like, they really made a point of, like, not centering around, like, the Asian stories or whatever. And then XO Kitty is like, yes, we're in Korea, and... Uh, we're in international school, and oh, a lot of K drama tropes in a uh, bad, bad. Not it's good. just like a f- like a fan fiction. It's like Emily in Paris, movie. but in Korea. Oh. Emily in Paris. Well, on that note, uh, Kung Fu Panda Four is coming out. Oh God, we're all very excited. <laughs> I and know I, this is like the peak. Like this is like, what boom, this, this is, is what is to come for Asian <laughs> Asian <laughs> rap in Hollywood. <laughs> Kung Fu Panda Four. Speaking of Kung Fu Panda Four. It, we we did forget that Kung Fu Panda one, two, and three existed <laughs> before Crazy Rich Asians. Yeah, but like because they were animated. Yeah, they also were very um star-studded white people yeah. cast. Mm-hmm. But this next one actually has a cast where we there are multiple Asian names that we recognize, which is not something that would have happened ten years ago. The first name I see. <laughs> the first one is Aquafina. We also have James Hong and Keith Lee Kwan from Everything Everywhere, and we also have Ronnie Chang. Oh no, um, Ronnie Chang as a angry as a as a comedic businessman, obviously. <laughs> yes, but this time he's a fishboat captain who lives in the pelican's mouth. I'm telling you, he's going to try to sell you something. <laughs> Probably. Maybe this will expand his range. I love how that is... That's the sum. That's... This is where Asian rep is going, guys. We're we're on a high. (laughs) This is is the high Kung Fu Panda 4. Yes. (laughs) And on that note, do you have any more songs for us? Oh, yes. I actually wanted to end off 
this show with my favourite song from an Asian movie ever. And this is Fei Wong's cover of the Cranberries song called Dreams. And it's called, yeah, Meng Zhonglen by Fei Wong. And I love this song so much. I hope you enjoy it as well. You're listening to Asian Pop Nation with Liz. Tracy. Leisha. Ethan. And Lee. <laughs> They've been here the whole thing. time. They've been here the whole time. She's Have like a good a day. Podcast audience <laughs> member today. <laughs> yeah. Good night, everyone.